Are you talking shift? We are. It's time for the We're Talking Shift podcast. Now, now, now. Here to talk shift, Lori Bischoff. We're talking shift. Hey, everyone. I'm Lori Bischoff. Welcome to We're Talking Shift, the podcast where I, along with my guest, talk shift because I believe the antidote to feeling stuck, along with a lot of other obstacles in our lives, begins in our minds by shifting our thinking. And often we've got to double down on that by going rogue and taking some radical action in our lives, which is why I am super stoked about the guest I'm going to be speaking with today, because this whole subject has been a focus of my passion for my entire adult life. And it's really become an entire, I guess, cultural going rogue movement around the topic of preventative and alternative and holistic health care in general. So we're going to be talking about things that I actually began incorporating into my life over 30 years ago. And it's information that I am obsessed with sharing uh, with anybody, anybody who will listen. So today I have the privilege of speaking with Kelly Noonan-Gores. Now, Kelly is the writer, director, and producer of HEAL, which is a documentary feature about the mind-body connection and our body's innate ability to heal. In 2012, Kelly started Elevative Entertainment with the intention to create conscious media that informs and inspires and empowers us. Heal is actually Kelly's directorial debut, and this powerful documentary explores how our thoughts, beliefs, and emotions affect our health and It shares incredible stories of healing and transformation and possibility. Her documentary is an amazing scientific and spiritual exploration featuring so many of the great minds in these fields, Uh, people that you're going to recognize like Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson, uh, the medical medium, Anthony William, Bruce Lipton, Greg Brighton, and so many more. Like myself, Kelly is a true seeker. She's a meditator. She enjoys traveling and sports. And by the way, when you watch Hill, check out how she owns that soccer ball at the end of the movie. Very impressive. And uh, and she loves reading and writing. But I have watched dozens and dozens of documentaries over the years on science and spirituality and healing. And one of the many things that I really love about Heal is that Kelly includes the personal journeys of a lot of people on their quest to find healing from the serious and life-threatening health issues that plague them through these alternative healing modalities and holistic methods. So I think that hearing about other people's stories can really help others become inspired to go rogue and take their health into their own hands. So let's get into it. Kelly, welcome to We're Talking Shift. Uh, thank you. I'm doing, I'm doing amazing. I'm doing well. Thank you. Excellent. Really, I cannot... I just can't even express how much that I've been looking forward to chatting with you about HEAL. Um, Like you, I am a super serious seeker. I'm totally fascinated with the mind-body connection. Um, It's been, I've been obsessed really with the whole subject of holistic health and, you know, our, our thoughts and emotions affecting our health and all of this stuff that's in this movie. It's been an obsession for me for probably like, 30 years now. So really when, when I watched heal and I think it was probably five or six months ago now, I really felt like you had 
been in my mind, read my mind, and then made <laughs> this movie. <laughs> That's how much it resonated. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So your seeking literally took you out on the road, um, you know, to find and seek out all of these leading scientists and doctors and teachers in the field of mind-body medicine. Um, my only complaint about that is that I wasn't with you on that road trip because that looks <laughs> so amazing. Really, I mean, how? What was it like? I have so many questions. I'm going to be all over the map here. I'm just going to put that out there right now. But um, what? <laughs> so, what was it like being able to actually meet in person and have this time with all of these amazing people that I'm sure have been, you know, teachers and influences in your own life for quite a while? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely surreal. It was really cool to be able to sit down with. It's nerve-wracking at first, you know. I got I got used to it along the way, but um, you know, uh, these people had written books or given talks or both um, that had influenced me so much and empowered me in my life. So, um, you know, I wanted to get the opportunity to sh- interview these same teachers and put it on film so that they could do the same for other people. Yeah, and uh, it was just it was awesome being in their presence and just seeing how they all kind of every single one of them practiced what they preached and they were just living, living their message. Nobody was stressed. Nobody was preparing anything. They were just, they lived their, they lived their message and it's, it's really cool to be a part of that. Yeah. So cool. What a, what a great gift and what a great opportunity. I'm envious. I think that is just amazing. Um, <laughs> well, okay, so I'll circle back around to them. What I wanted to ask you, I guess, to really get into this is, you know, this was a really massive undertaking. You spoke with a lot of people, you know, and amongst the um, the teachers and the doctors and the scientists, you also had a lot of um, people that were that were patients or people that were seeking um, alternative you know, methods to healing, uh, what they were dealing with. So you, it's one of the things that I really loved about heal was that you also had all of these, these personal stories intertwined with, um, the messages of all of the teachers and the doctors. So, yeah. yeah, How, so the people that you had, uh, on there with you, whose stories you were following were, were they very, um, was anybody hesitant or were they all really eager to share their stories? Um, they were all eager and open and, and, you know, they, they, I was so impressed and still give them mad props for how vulnerable they were and how, you know, it takes a lot when you're on a healing journey, you tend to be more vulnerable because there's fear involved, there's pain involved, there's other things involved. So, um, for them to open up and kind of share that journey with people was pretty awesome. And I, you know, part of the, what motivated me to do that is I thought it was important in a lot of documentaries on the same subject matter. Um, usually you just interviewed someone that had already healed and they kind of just told, told the audience of, of what they did or what happened, you know, and I wanted to actually go on the journeys with people so that, it would be more, you know, you get a, a more realistic view into the ups and downs of actually going on it. And um, 
and the, yeah. you know, the, the, the tragedies and the triumphs of trying to figure it all out. So, um, and I, and I think that also, you know, part of the intention of the documentary is not only to inform and empower with this new awareness, um, but also the more inspiring and successful stories that you see, the more you can believe that it's possible for yourself. So it's, you know, just the, when you can see someone else going through it and, and overcoming, you know, the impossible or, right. uh, then, then it strengthens your belief that like, okay, if she can do it, it, it fires you up, you know, I can do it too. Yes, exactly. And that was super cool to be able to literally be on their journeys with them because it also, I think lets people know that even though they did, they did heal and many of these people are, uh, doing well and, and thriving now, but even on their journey, um, there, like you said, there were still, um, some obstacles and still fear and still, you know, maybe a couple times there, where there was a step forward and a step back. And it, you know, it's not all, it's not all roses in a cakewalk, but, but they persevered and they believed and they, and they did it and they overcame. And so they rose to the challenge and really blasted through it. And that is, it's very empowering, I think, for other people to, to see that happen. Um, yeah. And, and even if, you know, there's one woman that didn't quite heal fully in the film or, mm -hmm. you know, she was face facing her own kind of question about which path she should take. And, yeah. and, and, yeah. and, the, and a lot of people are like, well, why did you include that if she's not supporting your the argument of your film. And I'm like, well, she is, you know, she is a real example of real humanity and, and yes. struggles that come with juggling family and job and all of these real life issues um, while you're trying to figure out your health issues. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I want people to watch her story and, and, you know, it's a reflection back to some members of the audience that'll be like, oh, wow, there's my, there's childhood trauma that I've, suppressed or repressed and I have to maybe look at or oh you know so I think everybody serves as a mirror um, that will resonate with different people in different ways and kind of with the the main goal of waking up you know so any you got to show a variety of different yeah <laughs> circum you know definitely and I, I think that was super cool and I want I've got more questions about her I think uh, you're referring to was it Eve or Eva Eva, yes, exactly. yes, yes. I've got some questions about her um, that we're going to get to in a little bit because you're right. And I think that was really actually pretty um, interesting the way that you did that because you're right. A lot of people would say, but wait, what about her? So we'll circle back around to her because I think that's a pretty interesting point. Um, one of the things you said early on was that uh, over the last 20 years, you yourself have been to a lot of healers and doctors. And I'm wondering if that was uh, part of what prompted you to make the documentary or if there's something about your your own journey that you want to share that was, you know, part of this whole thing that got you really interested in the process of, you know, alternative healing and holistic healing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's so many different um stories I could tell throughout my life, you know, nothing, a lot of people ask me, you know, did you lose someone to cancer or did you face a, you know, daunting diagnosis yourself that you overcame? Is that what motivated you to, to dive into this topic and share this documentary? And, um, it was just a lot of little things, you know, I've always been curious about the way things work. And, um, 
I had one instance in high school where I got sick after camping and my glands were really swollen and they didn't go down after I got better. Uh, and they were like the size of golf balls, like protruding from my neck, which is mm. not a great look for a girl in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, so, you know, I went to, my mom took me to a few different doctors and they all just basically threw antibiotics at me. They tested me for mono and Epstein-Barr, both of which came back negative. Um, but I had these big swollen glands in my neck and, um, the three courses of antibiotics I took didn't knock them down. So eventually, like six months later, they decided to do a lymph node biopsy, which is pretty scary because you go under general anesthesia. And, um, and again, the results came back inconclusive and totally benign and hmm. still didn't know what to do. So I went to my mom's chiropractor, uh, with her to one of her appointments and he suggested, he felt my glands and he suggested I swirl and gargle, um, blueberry vinegar, or not blueberry, apple cider vinegar, um, for a week or two and see if that, you know, takes out the infection. Yeah. Good old apple cider vinegar, right? (laughs) Yes. So, um, sure enough, it did. Uh, my glands went after about eight days, my glands went back to normal and I was like, you know, it was like a big light bulb going off. Like, Oh my God, these doctors in white coats didn't know what to do with me, but my chiropractor, you know, the answer was at a health food store. Mm-hmm. So, um, that was, you know, one of my probably that laid the foundation of my skepticism of conventional medicine yeah. being the only answer and uh, my curiosity into more kind of alternative methods. And then, you know, throughout my twenties, like I was an actor and I was constantly trying to figure out like what my blocks were emotionally, you know, so I started learning a lot about psychology and energy and, and, um, so I would see shamans and energy healers and do all this crazy stuff to like remove these blocks that in my subconscious or my emotional body or whatever. So I'd become a better actor. So it's pretty silly, but, um, you know, I, so I just started to experience all these things and, and really did, you know, peel back layers of myself and healing. And I just, I really wanted to like get rid of all the gunk that was getting in the way of me living the life that I wanted to live. So, um, you know, that's basically it. It was just kind of a lifetime of, of different, uh, miles that get that strengthened my curiosity and trying to understand like how much potential we really have and the body's ability to heal itself, you know, and I just kept getting more and more passionate about that topic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. So what, um, I'm just curious before we jump into the movie here, what was your mom or your parents' uh, reaction when the good old apple cider vinegar actually took care of your swollen glands? What did they think about it? Yeah. I mean, I I don't remember my dad's reaction. Um, He was a pilot, so he was often gone and we just handled stuff without him even knowing it was going on. But um, (laughs) I think my mom, you know, my mom was like a child of the, 60s and 70s so she was a total hippie and to, you know she was just like oh great you know so she yeah. she could she wasn't phased at all okay <laughs> she so like, she yeah awesome. yeah she went with the flow awesome yeah that's very cool well I I noticed that when I started watching the movie um one of the very first teachers that we see in the movie 
is not is not a doctor or a scientist, but a spiritual teacher, right? Actually, the first couple we see Marianne Williamson, and we see uh, Michael Beckwith, which you know totally um, huge teachers of mine as well. Um, I've been reading their stuff and studying their stuff for a long, long time. So I was delighted, and I thought it was though interesting. I mean, one of the first things you hear is Marianne Williamson saying you know, stating that all disease begins in the mind. And of course, when I heard that, heard her say that, I was like, oh yes, honey, this is, I'm right where I'm supposed to be here. You know, I was sold already. Um, but my, so my question is, um, was there a specific reason that you ended up putting a couple of spiritual teachers, um, obviously very well known in that genre, right at the beginning of the movie? Or did it just happen to fall into place that way? Yeah, I wasn't conscious of that decision. I think that um, for me, people like Marianne Williamson, I read her book when I was uh, 20 years old, yeah. uh, Return to Love. And so that was almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it like spiritually just was like, oh my God, finally someone's putting it into terms, fear and love, um, articulating, you know, my my understanding of God, you know? Right. And after being raised Catholic, I was like, you know, when I read her book, I was like, yes, this, this totally resonated with me. So, um, I think, you know, and then Michael later on, about 10 years later, I started going to Agape and, and, you know, he, it's all about the thoughts you think and, and, you know, belief and faith and surrendering to the higher power and your purpose in life. And yeah, so, I feel like to me, and then, you know, at the end of the journey, ultimately I found that kind of healing, it is more than anything, a spiritual journey, you know, and, and those teachings, that big picture teaching, um, and understanding spirituality and understanding, you know, our source and where we come from and what life is trying to teach us and all of our experiences, et cetera, um, that will get you to your, you know, ultimate healing, highest Mm -hmm. healing. Yeah, I, I I am completely in alignment with that belief, completely. So there's um, a man in the beginning, and I I failed to note his name, but he's uh, one of the one of the energy workers. Uh, he talked about energy medicine and Eastern medicine. And he was the man that was there when you had the group assembled. Mm-hmm. And he, Rob Morgan. Okay. That looked, now that was somebody that was, um, new. I, I was not aware of him before. And, um, and it was really intriguing to listen to him and to watch what he was doing with the people that you had gathered in that room. And, uh, it looked like, I mean, you had people there that were suffering from MS and chronic pain and fatigue and, you know, tumors and mystery illnesses of all kinds. And, and so many of them, in fact, I think most of them were at least what I would consider to be young people. I mean, these weren't like, you know, people in their 80s, 70s and 80s. These are young people suffering from these chronic illnesses and mystery illnesses. And uh, and I just wondered how, um, what did they all think of that whole experience that you put together? It was really fascinating. Yeah, you know, I think... Um they were curious and they were honored to be there. And I think they were all open to seeing what they, you know, what kind of transformation could occur. Um, Nobody really knew of Rob 
before that day that was there in attendance. So it was kind of met with maybe a, a, a lot of curiosity, a lot of openness, and a dash of skepticism. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, everybody had like a real, real visceral experience um, at the end of the day. Like even when he was working on someone else, like the whole room mm-hmm. was feeling things going on in their body. So it was, it was very cool experience. Um, and it is, it, it is crazy how much, you know, younger and younger people, um, and, and, and what I think is fascinating is they all looked healthy, you know, they yes. look like healthy p- young people, but they're, they have all these issues that are, they're kind of silently, fo- you know, um, uh-huh. battling themselves. Yeah. So, um, so it was, I mean, it was cool. It was just, it was awesome that everyone was open. It was a very loving room. It was a lot of love and release and a lot of tears. Uh, in the process. So I think, you know, whether they healed after that one session or not, um, because again, you know, they had, they came in with some deep layers of some deep stuff. Um, they definitely got like major cathartic release and, and at least healing on some level, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. You could see the, um, you could see the compassion and the empathy and just really the emotional connection throughout the room when they were even observing, um, the person that Rob was working on. Um, yeah. it was, and a lot of we're lacking a lot of that in, in, in our lives right now, you know, everybody's kind of on their smartphones and connecting <laughs> through social media, but you know, we're, we're less and less coming together in community and really emotionally connecting. So I think just that, group aspect in itself when everybody's there trying to like support each other and and be compassionate like that in itself is healing you know absolutely yeah it was really quite fascinating um hopefully sometime it would be fun to follow up with a couple of those people and see what they've you know continued if they've continued um you know that or a version of that or some other type of alternative healing it was really amazing the the guy that had the the tumor that he really you know you focused on a lot um he seemed to have a quite um amazing experience when he was mm-hmm. done yeah it was very cool he was he was very uplifted for many for a long time after that he was like oh my god you know he just felt so seen and loved and it just like a burden was lifted you know Right. It's amazing the power of feeling the energy and being seen by a group of people all at the same time, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. I experienced that too um, at Agape. uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And they do that. It's really powerful. And you don't, um, people don't understand unless they have participated in something like that, how powerful it is, how strong that invisible energetic current is when you are really intentionally directing it toward somebody and you are intentionally open to receiving it. Yes, totally. And a lot of healers are incorporating that in their work now, and there's a lot of scientific research that is backing it up um, because you can kind of measure what's going on in people's bodies when um, there's group intention and group healing. Mm-hmm. You can actually measure like when all of the, the people in the, you know, Joe Dispenza does it in yeah. his workshops and Lynn McTaggart and, and many, many other people, but um, they, they, they measure, you know, the, the people that are sending the healing 
get themselves in a coherent state. They're meditating. They're syncing up their mind and their heart. And then they're sending that loving intention to the person in the middle who's healing, which, you know, unofficially we were doing that day as well. As yeah. We're sitting there in holding space. And, um, you know, they've measured that they, you know, they're changing the field of en- the energetic uh, electromagnetic field around these mm-hmm. people's body. So things, it's actually shifting energy yeah. and shifting matter. It's pretty, it's pretty insane, actually. I love it. It is. It's insane in, in a great way. It's so intense. In a great that, way. Yeah, that um, reminds me of um, some things that uh, Greg Braden uh, had said in the movie. And there were, I mean, there were so many things. I had to whittle down my pages of questions here. <laughs> there was so <laughs> much stuff. But one of the things that I think um, is so fascinating is this phenomenon that he calls uh, entanglement. That, mm. you know, which I guess is a physics term, you know, meaning that everything that begins as a whole, even though it becomes separated physically, whether by miles or light years or whatever, everything energetically is still connected. So physically we're separated, but energetically we are always eternally connected to each other on the earth, which I thought was so cool because, and tell me what you think about this, that sounds a lot also like you know, metaphysical spirituality. It's the same thing, only with a scientific term. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, in every kind of spiritual tradition or religion, it's like the great teachers like Jesus and Buddha and otherwise, they they talk about like, you know, life and this separation um, is really an illusion. And so to see someone as their body is not, you know, the reality with a capital R. It's, you know, they're, we're all connected. We're all, you know, connected behind that illusion. Um, and yeah, entanglement is just the, the scientific explanation of that same concept in different, you know, clothing. It's awesome. Yeah. He talked about the big bang, you know, we started as this compact thing and then with the big bang, we explode into all these different particles and that we as humans developed from those, those particles. And so, but we're still connected and they show in these quantum physics um, experiments that when you, you know, you like split an electron and you send them seven miles away from each other or whatever, uh, if you tickle, if you tickle one of them, the other one has the same reaction that's seven miles away because they were once connected and they're, they're still energetically like connected and responding at the same time. It's wild. Yeah. So I'll let, I'll let the quantum physicists explain that one better, yeah. but that was, no, I thought that was pretty they're good. They're proving though. it. You know, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal really. Um, and one of my other favorites, all time favorites that you had on a lot was Bruce Lipton. Um, I just, I love him. I was, I was first introduced to the science of epi, epigenetics when I read his book, The Biology Belief, maybe, I don't know, nine years ago or so now. And, and you really feature him a lot, which, which I love. I, I was eating it up. Um, would you, I mean, you just did such a great job talking about explaining um, entanglement. Do you want to <laughs> take a craft <laughs> at, at epigenetics? 
Yeah, sure. I, I too, read Biology of Belief, I think, about 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, I remember, just like you, like, reading reading his science and discoveries and about epigenetics and going, oh, my God, like, everybody needs to know this, you know? Yeah. So epigenetics really is essentially stating, and, and Bruce Lipton was one of the first to dis- discover this concept um, when he was working with stem cells. Uh, you know, I think 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he realized that, um, you know, the genetic, our genetic code is just a blueprint, but it's our environment that turns on the switches, turns on and off the switches of that code. So we could carry a gene um, that may lead to cancer or may lead to some some sort of condition. But if we are in an environment that is life supportive and, 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 you know, healthy, uh, that gene will never be turned on. So essentially our lifestyle choices, behaviors, our environment, our thoughts, beliefs, and emotions that makes up our environment. Um, that is going to dictate in 95% of the cases what genes get expressed or not. So we're not really victims of our genes in a majority of the cases, you know, Dr. Chopra, Dr. Dispenza, Dr. Lipton, they all talk about, you know, there's, there are some fully penetrant genetic conditions, which means if you have this genetic mutation or, uh, you know, there's not much you can do in lifestyle that can change it, it's, it, it's a, that, that condition is expressed 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. So that, that's in about 2 to 5% of, of conditions. 95 to 98% of conditions, you ha- you, there is something you can do about it to improve or you can affect the expression of these genes with better lifestyle choices and with um, healthier emotions and more empowering beliefs. So yeah, it's, you know, we're not victims of our genes is basically. Yeah, yeah. so that means you don't really have an excuse of, well, it runs in my family, <laughs> right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it can, but you have the you have the power to break that pattern. Yeah, you know? yeah. So you may be predisposed to something because genetically your you know, your family it's part of your genetic blueprint. Yeah. But yeah, the beauty of it, the the way the thing that's so empowering is having this knowledge that just because I'm predisposed to it doesn't mean that it's inevitable. I actually, like you said, have controls over, you know, if I'm going to switch that on or off based on yeah. how I choose to, to live and think and, you know, the environment that I'm in, inside and outside. Exactly. And if you think about it, like, you know, of course, it might, you know, I can see where we adopted that belief that, oh, it's a genetic condition. I'm going to get it too, because my parents and my grandparents and da, 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 da. But if you think about it, it's like, these same environments are getting passed down from generation yes. to generation. So it's the same food, it's the same stress mm-hmm. levels, you know, unless you're actually actively working mm-hmm. to break those negative patterns, you're doing the same habits as the one that, that came before you. So right. of course your genes are going to be expressing in the same way. So is it a genetic predisposition or is it just the environment keeps perpetuating and so nothing changes, you know? Right, right. Yeah, same belief systems, same same eating lifestyle, same everything. So then you get the same, the same results. Interesting. 
really interesting. And he had a, um, a really interesting quote, um, Dr. Lipton. He said, um, a placebo, or let me see, where is it? A placebo, a positive, which is a positive thing that can cure you of anything. But a nocebo is a negative belief, and that can actually cause us any illness and can cause death simply because you believe it. Yes, the power of words. Um, yeah, so a lot of people know what placebo effect is. It's, you know, uh, and it should be, I think the placebo effect should be exploited more. It's like if you, it's, you know, it, when they're testing drugs, they give, let's say they give a group of 100 people an antidepressant, and then they have to give a control group of 100 people a sugar pill to see what, you know, the efficacy of the drug is. Mm-hmm. Um, by comparing the differences in reactions between both groups. And what they're finding is even people in the, in the control group that are taking the sugar pill, an upwards of 50 to even 75% of those people, because they're just expecting that this pill, they're told they're getting an antidepressant. They're not told they're getting a sugar pill. They're, they're, so they believe and expect that this pill is going to help them, even though there's no, it's an inert substance. There's nothing in the pill that can help them. So what's happening is because they're believing and expecting that this pill is going to alleviate their symptoms of depression, their body makes their own pharmacy of chemicals that are mimicking what the drug is doing. So essentially our minds and our, and our brains are the, the best pharmacy. Um, so, I mean, the placebo effect is fascinating, and it just shows, you know, goes to show how much our beliefs and our, our expectations about what's possible um, affect our biology, mm-hmm. but the same can op, you know, the, a belief in the opposite direction, a negative belief or a nocebo can, can produce the same effect. So all of the experts told me one story or another of how, you know, they've heard of a guy that was misdiagnosed, that, you know, their scans came back and was told that he had lung cancer because there was a spot on the scan. And you know, oh, it's stage four lung cancer, you've got two months to live, Um, and sure enough, the guy dies within two months, if, you know, not right at two months, because, again, he's buying into the belief that he's dying, and he's expecting it to happen, And, and, and his body, being the pharmacy, responds and creates that chemistry and that dying degenerative chemistry in his body, so, and then they've, you know, the doctors find out that, oh, the spot on the lungs was actually like dust on this on the x-ray machine or whatever (laughs) like it sounds terrible but they all had a version of that story where it what they weren't actually sick but because they were told they were um and they were so fearful and they were so expectant of their body breaking down and dying um that you know 90 percent of the time it it they die like within the exact same time frame that the doctor gives them so it just goes to show, like, the power of words, the power of someone's prognosis. Mm-hmm. Like, we really need to, we need to be vigilant about what we're allowing people to tell us is possible with our bodies. And, you know, and know that there's so many other possibilities. We don't need to buy into someone, someone's opinion of what we're capable of. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because that whole thing about the prognosis. We, I was actually watching a um, show last night with, with my husband, um, the good doctor. And yeah, it's such a cute show. Um, 
But uh, we were watching it and, you know, there's a scenario where the uh, doctor is giving the patient the prognosis. If you have the surgery, you know, here's this. And it was basically almost a death sentence, almost certain death. But if you don't have the surgery, it's also certain death. So the only, (laughs) so your two courses of action, both, both lead to death. It's just a matter of which one's going to happen first. And my husband's like, wow, I mean, what would you do if you are sitting there in the doctor's office, you have the diagnosis and where you have this tumor or whatever. And then the only two prognoses you get are, well, death and death. Um, you know, what would you do? And I was like, I would never, ever even stick around long enough to hear a prognosis, let alone find myself in the position of having to pick one of those. There would be so many other things I would be doing. And, and that reminded me of the statement and, and maybe it was Dr. Lipton. I don't remember in the movie that said, you know, accept your diagnosis, but then don't accept the prognosis you know right. so yeah and that that was another big i think that's one of the you know a, it's yeah. a really important point of the film because and again all of the experts agree that you know especially if you're getting if you're getting a double whammy you know yeah. certain death is your only option you know that's when you go seek a second and third and fourth opinion and if they keep telling you that's your only option and they give you a percentage it's like okay what did the 2% that survived do you yeah. know if so and and you just exactly you like you keep you you uh Kelly Turner talks about it in her cancer research with radical mm-hmm. remission survivors you know it's the ones that were like told they have 1% chance of survival with this stage 4 cancer and and everyone she talked to uh these 1500 cases of spontaneous remissions that she studied um they were all sent home to die you know they were all told that there's nothing else we can do. We've done all the treatment we know how, and your body is failing you. Get your affairs in order, and, you know, good luck. And right. they all go home, and they make these shifts, um, and they all have this defiance of, of you know, well, if, some, if there's a 1% chance of survival, like, I'm going to be that 1%. There's no reason why I can't be that 1%. So right. you kind of have to have a defiance in the face of a prognosis, you know, and, and realize that there is other possibilities. There's, there's always other possibilities. Don't don't get sucked into you know yeah. this, this average bell curve of a right of a prognosis. You know. Yeah, you almost have to um, be willing to go rogue, as I like to say, and go. You know what? I'm 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 not going to do what traditionally people do here. I'm just I'm going to completely you know, take a hard left. I'm going to defy the odds. I'm going to do something that maybe most would be considered really unprecedented. And I'm, I'm doing something else. I'm making a a radical change and uh, a departure from the norm. Um, And you almost have to, especially when it comes to your health. Uh, Is there a time in your life? I like to ask all of my guests if there's a time in their life where they found themselves having to do something like that in, in some way, shape or form where you had to really go rogue in order to, you know, make a, make a shift. And it ended up to be maybe, maybe a little scary, or maybe people were looking at you sideways, but you did it anyway. And it ended up to be like a great thing in your life. Oh my goodness. Um, you asked me this question before and I'm like, where have <laughs> I gone rogue? Um, I mean, 
I remember one thing you told me. If you can't think of something, I'll give yeah, you. Yeah, what did I tell you? One of the things that you had mentioned that I thought was really pretty interesting was that, given what you're doing now, was that you were raised Catholic. Oh, yeah, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I kind of went rogue at an early age because um, I came from a very Catholic family. My, both my parents' parents were you know, church-going Catholics, and uh, so we became church-going Catholics, and my brother was an altar boy, and we'd go to CCD, and and I was always, like, fascinated with the, the stories and the Proverbs and the, you know, Jesus, just historically, just I was fascinated by the stories of the Bible, but something always felt like, not missing, but just not fully, like, okay, so when it came time for confirmation, which is what you do, it's kind of like a bar mitzvah, I guess, if you're, if you're Jewish, um, (laughs) you know, you're confirming, you're confirming your faith, you're confirming your, you're promising that you're going to be Catholic forever, I guess, is is how I took it back then. Um, And I was like, well, before I, you know, get married to the church, like, what, you know, there's Buddhism out there, there's Judaism, there's all Hinduism, there's all these other religions, like, how, how can I confirm to one if I haven't studied all the others, you know, and this was that, 12 years old or whatever. So yeah, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a little bit going rogue. I asked my parents. I'll say for a 12 year old, <laughs> you've got some pretty deep thinking there. I was, my mom was like, you know, you just didn't want to go to the confirmation classes is what it really boils down to. But <laughs> I remember going, I can't confirm to something, you know, I want to be true to my word, like until I understand everything else. So I didn't get confirmed. I asked them if my parents, if that would be okay. And they, they said, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, no, it's, Whatever you, you know, you're free to do what you, what you want to do. So they're, they're cool about it. And then, you know, for a period of time, I think in high school, I questioned God. I thought very rationally and logically and scientifically and, um, and questioned the existence. And then, you know, like I kind of told you, came, you know, return to love. Um, I read in college and it came at this right time where I, I was a little, you know, I was depressed and it, it was a combination of things. I was going to Berkeley and the weather was kind of foggy and um, less sunny than I had been used to growing up in Southern California. So that was, that took a toll on my, on my, you know, mental health. And then also, you know, my diet was poor. I was eating pizza every night at 2 a.m. and drinking <laughs> a lot of alcohol. That was not helping. Um, but ultimately, like I realized I didn't have any sort of true north. I didn't have any real belief or in a higher power. So I felt like a ship without a rudder, you know, and then I, I read Marianne Williamson's book and it was just like, Oh my God. Okay. Fear, love, God is love, you know? And, and that kind of took me back on my spiritual seeking, um, where I started to study principles of all the religions and found kind of the universal truth at the back of them all. Right, right. Um, So return to love was kind of your, um, entry point into yeah. metaphysical or new thought spirituality that you've been totally okay that's cool yeah she's amazing amazing um so what about uh i thought it was really really interesting to follow the journey of elizabeth with the stage four cancer mm-hmm. and I, I i think this is an interesting story too because here's a woman that was supposedly living a super healthy lifestyle from all of the 
I guess the outer means, you know, she was doing her yoga and she was eating right and juicing and all of those things that we can do. She was doing them all. And then, you know, one day she gets a diagnosis that she has stage four cancer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what do you, what do you say, um, you know, to people that maybe are like, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. You could be the epitome of health, but look, you know, you never know what's going to swoop down and get you. So why bother? Yeah. I mean, she, you know, uh, she, I think she's a great example of how much our subconscious beliefs and our emotional health, um, you know, really takes a, has an effect on our health. So she could be, you know, people could be walking around like, oh, I'm so positive and saying these affirmations. But if, if underneath you have this subconscious belief that you are not worthy and you are not lovable, um, or you, you know, in her case, it was, you are pathetic, uh, mm-hmm. then that is going to dictate everything that goes on in your life. And you're going to attract a man or a woman in your life that is going to affirm that belief about yourself and treat you in a not so loving way. Um, you're going to attract circumstances in your life that are, that's going to match that belief you know, vibration or meaning. Yeah. So, and she just, we're not aware of those subconscious beliefs that we hold. And that was, you know, hopefully in the, that was one of the things I actually learned myself in the film is like, wow, there are, you know, it's subconscious. We're not even aware that we have these beliefs that we adopted from other people in our childhood, you know? Um, And so like when you're doing everything right on the surface, it's oftentimes not enough if you're eating right and, because these emotional stressors that are, you know, coming from these negative and disempowering subconscious beliefs that you hold about yourself and about life, um, those are going to, those dictate everything. So eventually you're going to, your body's going to start breaking down because you have that, you're carrying around that stress and you keep, you know, you you have, you keep attracting circumstances in your life that is trying to make you look at that, look at those beliefs and change them. Yeah. Yeah. There's something that she said that really struck a chord in me. Um, She said the cancer personality style, she called it a cancer personality style. And then she said, it's like the, I don't want to be a burden and it's easier for me to give love than to ask for it. She was talking about that. And you know, obviously she said she realized that that was a really um, detrimental mindset. And it really struck a chord with me because I, I sit and, you know, I thought about that with, with people that um, I've known. I mean, in this day and age, we all know somebody either really close to us or close to somebody close to us that is battling or did has battled cancer. And my mother was, was the person close to me and my husband's mother. But But when she said, I was like, my mom, she's been studying, you know, new thought spirituality. And, you know, she started doing this stuff in the, in the seventies. And I'm like, how is it, you know, and she, she didn't eat horribly and, you know, she didn't do everything great, but I was like, what I keep looking for, what was the thing that she didn't get? You know what I mean? And when, and when Elizabeth said that, that cancer personality style, and then she talked about that mindset that was something that, you know, she, you know, it, it came to her in the work that she did with some of these um, practitioners. I was like, ah, there we have it. To, to me, 
it just resonated so powerfully. And I think you're right because so many of these beliefs, they're, they're, they're buried in our subconscious. And if you don't know that they're there and you're doing all the other things right, um, you might still be, you know, vulnerable, I guess, to, to some sort of level of unwellness because there's something lurking beneath the surface that you, that you haven't tended to yet. And that was, that was just a big one for me. And I'm always excited when I, something, you know, comes up that I have, that hasn't come up in my face before that I haven't already read about or studied or, or something. And I thought that, uh, I understand the whole concept and I'm a believer in the deep seated beliefs in the, you know, our subconscious, but but when she called it the cancer personality style, I could think of so many people that that applies to. It's really pretty interesting. And where, what, can I ask what yeah. kind of cancer your mom had? Um, colon cancer. Colon. Interesting. Yep. yep. Yeah, I find, I find it so fascinating and I don't know enough to be the expert on it, but I know that they, they talk, you know, a lot of Chinese medicine um, traditional Chinese medicine, it talks about different organ systems um, and body parts are connected to different emotions, you know, so like mm-hmm. liver processes anger, lungs process grief, so a lot of people that have lung cancer that weren't smokers, they may have this, you know, subconscious grief that mm-hmm. they haven't processed. I always think that's so fascinating and a lot of, you know, back to this cancer personality type where they're constantly giving and nurturing other people and kind of neglecting themselves or their yes. real dreams and hopes and passions. Um, you know, they talk about that, like a lot of women, breast cancer is so common in women and that personality is so common in women and our breasts, you mm-hmm. know, are what nurture the children. They're, they're what give life to the children. So they're, you know, it's our nurturing part of the body. And a lot of people get cancer there because they're not nurturing themselves. You know, that's, that's a theory. I, I can't prove yeah. it, but I love, I love when they tie in different, different organ systems for different emotional, yeah. you know, causes or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And really, I mean, you have to, I mean, I guess you don't, but I, we give so much, um, I put a lot of, of value and weight on that. I mean, traditional Chinese medicine has been around for like thousands of years. And usually things that are around that long, there's because there's something to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> things. Yeah, exactly. They, they talk about alternative medicine. I'm like, well, these acupuncture and Chinese medicine and herbs yeah. and, you know, yeah. shamanism, all the, these have been around for 5,000 plus years and working and, um, yeah. You know, so conventional yeah. medicine is is new. You know, alternative right. medicine has been proven for thousands of years. So it's it's funny that it doesn't get the kind of clout from insurance companies or whatever that uh, yeah. new technology does. You know. Yeah, I think we should rename it right now, Kelly, and we should call it start calling it original medicine. <laughs> yes. Alternative. The OG OG medicine. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's interesting. And speaking of yes, insurance companies and the like. So, yeah, the uh, you know, and talking about the placebo effect and planting seeds and of of beliefs in our brains. The drug commercials, you know, that you I never remember seeing a drug commercial as a child. We saw cigarette commercials, but we never saw drug right. commercials. <laughs> New drugs, new kind of drugs. Yeah, but but now you know that's 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 all you see if you watch um, 
if you watch television, that's, that's just all you see are drug commercials. And, and again, you know, there's, there's this whole um, fear factor that's, you know, they're planting the seeds of, of fear. And, and then, you know, as you and I are talking about with this whole nocebo and, and placebo thing, it really is like this whole mission to plant the seeds of fear and doubt and unwellness. So, you know, and then that your only option or your best option is to, you know, do this and, and take that, whatever it is they're advertising. It's frightening. Right. It is frightening. And it's, it's, you know, I just, a news thing popped up. I posted on my Instagram this morning and I don't ever get um, political, but I put it on my stories because it's like big pharma, you know, paid a lot of money to senators uh, who are investigating um, big pharma today. And I'm like, how is that legal? <laughs> like, how is lobbying by, you know, big pharma and big food, like legal uh, when, when they're affecting the truth, you know? And, and it, it's, you know, you see it at different times during the day if you're watching morning news or afternoon talk shows when it's a lot of kind of people that, older people that maybe have been retired that are taking five to six medications, that's when the drug comp- the drug commercials are really advertising, you know, because these people are at home or, mm-hmm. um, and they, you know, and that the drug company <laughs> tells you about a problem you may have. And if, <laughs> and then you mm-hmm. go to, and they tell you to ask your doctor about this problem you may have, you know, and then the sad thing is like, we, you know, pharmaceutical salespeople are going around to different doctor's office every day, making a lot of money um, by incentivizing these doctors to prescribe, you know, and doctors are getting paid less and working harder than they ever have before. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they, they're definitely like, oof, I need these incentives, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a, it's a kind of a, it's a double-edged sword and, and yeah. there are some life-saving drugs, but um, the way the system is set up is just, it's not transparent and it's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of brain, it's brainwashing. It's hypnotizing a lot of people into thinking they need stuff they don't, you know? Exactly. That's exactly the word I was thinking. It's, it's hypnotic. Can you imagine wanting to be a traditional doctor in this country, in this day with the kind of insane pressures and complications with, you know, malpractice, the pressure of the drug companies, yeah. the pharmaceuticals, people coming in all day, every day going, I looked this up on WebMD and I'm pretty sure I have this. And this commercial said to take that. I mean, that's... I know I feel bad for these doctors. You know, a lot of them yeah. got into medicine because they wanted to help people. They wanted to save lives. And now they're, mm-hmm. you know, stressed out, um, they're mm-hmm. terrified. We live in a, I think that's yeah, another problem, especially with our country, the United States. It's, we're just a Sioux happy society. And um, so doctors do a lot of things and make a lot of decisions um, that aren't in the best interest of the patient because they need to protect themselves from liability. And that's it's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mess. It really is. It, it, and it, uh, you know, it's just another reason that we would hope and hopefully by continuing to share, you know, documentaries and movies like Heal, people can start more and more to understand um, what I think Dr. 
or was it Greg Braden? Yeah, said, um, given the right environment and conditions, every single organ in our body has the ability to heal itself, even the ones that we have been told could not. And, you know, if people could start to understand that, you know, we our bodies are these amazing self-healing organisms it's like you said in the movie, you were so fascinated when you were a kid that when you would cut yourself, you know, or cut your finger, it would just heal up all by itself. And it's really quite miraculous. Yes, I agree. And, and yeah, I think, I mean, I think our, I love when Albert Einstein says, you know, there's two ways to look at life as though nothing's a miracle and as though everything's a miracle. I mean, I just think it's, yeah. if you really think about it, like it is miraculous that we can cut ourselves and then the cut disappears after six days or whatever it takes to heal a cut, you know, and it is miraculous that our heart is beating and all of these systems are going on in our body right now, digesting our food, hormones regulation, all this is happening without us thinking or doing anything. I mean, and I think that's a miracle. Like yeah. our bodies are capable of just such amazing things and has such a, you know, supernatural intelligence. It's, I, I'm fascinated. Yeah, I I am too. And I think um, the practice, and I know you're a meditator, um, and so am I. And how do you think the practice of meditation um, affects you when you're not meditating? So you sit down and, you know, maybe you meditate for 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, and then you go on with your day. For you, how does the period of meditation, however long it lasts, how does that bleed over into the rest of your day and affect your life when you're not doing it? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Cause obviously while you're meditating, you get, um, we talked about it in the film, physiological benefits. Like you release, you know, um, you release healing hormones into your body. You release oxytocin, dopamine, all of these other things. When you quiet your mind and you're, you're breathing, um, and you're out of the, stress response, you know, eventually after a few minutes. Um, and, but you know, the, the other aspect of meditation is like, it's almost like, um, detoxing your mind in a way, like we accumulate. And when we go out throughout our day, and this is why so many people are chronically stressed, which then leads to chronic illness. Cause the experts say stress is at the base of, you know, 99% of every doctor visit. Right. Um, you know, we're getting inundated with information all the time, uh, whether it's our smartphones, negative news, uh, you know, chaos of a city. It's just like we're overstimulated, right? So our brain is taking on, and you know, it's accumulating all of this information and it's, it's hard to keep up with the processing, you know, and it's accumulating all this mental stress and emotional stress. So meditation to me is a cumulative experience of, of everyday dumping some of that accumulation it's it's getting it's it's you know Marianne and Michael Beckwith Marianne Williams and Michael Beckwith both talk about in the film how meditating is like just as important as taking a shower or a bath it's like you wash the physical gunk off your body right um, to reset you need to wash your mental gunk out as well because otherwise it just builds up builds up builds up until your system burns out so meditation the way it spills over, the more you practice it on a daily basis, the more space you're creating in your mind and the more you can meet circumstances in life 
with more space, more of a buffer, so you're not reactive. I mean, if you're if you're filled up to the brim and something, you know, you can't take on any more mental stress, so you react, you know, from a from a subconscious place. Um, but if you have, if you've created space and you practice creating space every day, that accumulation never builds up to full. And so you're not, you're, you're way less reactive to things in life. You're much more present. Um, your, your thoughts are quieter so that you can actually hear the voice of your intuition. You can actually hear your inner guidance. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're accumulating so much crap in your mind every day and you're not dumping it, uh, in meditation, then, you know, it's almost impossible to discern your intuitive voice from all the other thoughts, other people's thoughts and, and other stuff you've accumulated throughout the day. So to yeah. me, it's creating space. Space is the precursor to healing, according to Peter, Peter Crone in the film and, and others. Um, and accumulation, you know, leads to disease. So it's all about creating space. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found, uh, I agree. I find that same kind of feeling when I, when I meditate and, um, it does, it, it, it just sets the tone and sets me up for the day. Um, and I found that yoga, when I first started practicing yoga a long time ago, I found that the same thing was happening. I was realizing that when I first started practicing yoga, it was probably about uh, 2000, 2001. And uh, I thought, oh, this isn't going to work for me. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is too slow. Why aren't we exercising? <laughs> you know, because we're, we're breathing and then we're doing right. you know, these poses. And I'm like, and I, I came from a, from a practice of, you know, working out in the gym three or four days a week with weights. And so, mm -hmm. you know, then I went to this other extreme and I was like, oh, I don't know about this. You know, I, nothing's happening. But I stepped yeah. with it, right? I was, I was determined. And then, you know, one day, finally, after a couple of weeks, it clicked. It just clicked. And I got it. I just, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know how else to say it other than I stuck with it about three days a week. And after a couple of weeks, I, I got it. And then I was like, okay, now I get now I understand what this is about. And, you know, and then I was addicted from that point on. But mm -hmm. one of the benefits I found, just like you were talking about with meditation, was it's not just limited to the time that you're actually sitting in the meditation or, or in the practice, you know, of your half hour, your hour of yoga. It's, it's how it affects you all of the other hours of the day that you're mm -hmm. able to take this gift with you and use it in all of the other experiences that come up in your life. Yes. Yes. And the more you practice, I mean, you can feel the effects, you know, lingering the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. um, but if you practice regularly for years and years and years, those effects are just so expansive. It's like it shifts your whole right. per perception of life. It shifts your whole energy for, for good, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's an energetic shift for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I um, and back to what you were saying about stress, which is another thing that I had made a note of here. I wanted to, to we can't stress it enough <laughs> about <laughs> stress. So being, um, you know, what all of these 
um, experts and, and doctors and scientists and, and our spiritual teachers are saying it's the root cause of most of our, our diseases and unwellness. It's, it's still that old version of, you know, our fight or flight response and the stresses that are just accumulating all day, every day, and how all of that stress shuts down our immune system. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit more just because I really want this to hit home with people that are listening is there's, a, uh, I think it was um, Dr. Lipton again that said, that said uh, the only consequence that will come from, um, from this is uh, chemistry of fear. Illness and disease, yes, is the only consequence that'll come from the chemistry of fear. So fear has an actual chemistry in our bodies. So yes. let's just, I just want to make sure that we leave like no stone unturned about that whole topic. And, um, and let's just explore a little bit more and help our listeners understand what he means about the chemistry of fear. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we have the, when you're in fear, you're in fight or flight response, right? And that, that response is designed as a survival mechanism. Um, and it's, you know, the nervous system is, you're either in sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight, or parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and repair. So they're mutually exclusive. If you're in fight or flight, it's basically mobilizing all your resources in your body. So you stop digesting your food, you stop your higher brain centers, you stop your immune system, all of these things that require energy um, get deprioritized to the number one priority of running from the tiger that's about to eat you. So that's what the fight or flight response is in there. Um, and it gets you all the energy from all those other systems that it temporarily shuts down and puts it into your muscles and guards your organs with extra blood uh, to fight for your life or run as fast as you can. And that survival mechanism is awesome, but it's designed for a sprint. It's designed for, you know, mm-hmm. 20 to 30 minutes to get you away from the threat. It's, the problem is because of all this information that's going on in the world, all of this tension that's going on in the world, all the news that has become so negative, um, you know, we're running kind of a fight-or-flight response chronically all the time with no break, which means, what does that mean? It means we are shutting down our higher brain centers all the time. It's shutting down our immune system, shutting down our digestion. So we have, we're sicker. We have more digestive problems. And we have a lot of brain fog. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, and this is not good. So, again, our bodies are designed to heal. But if you're in a chronic stress mode, you, we're, not, we're not healing, you know. So yes. um, we really have to learn things like meditation and yoga, um, walking in nature, disconnecting from technology, breath work, breathing, uh, exercise all of these tools that can turn off the fight or flight and allow us to relax and get into rest and repair mode. Right, right. And just so that people know, you can do that, like you mentioned. There are more ways to do that. If you just cannot find yourself to be that person that can sit still for 15 minutes and meditate, because a lot of people can't. (laughs) They just, they they try and they're like, I just can't do it. But you can still get that same effect and do your own. There are so many versions of meditation. Like you said, you could go walking in nature or my my husband's version of meditation was going out and riding his horse or going out and hiking with his dog. And that's- Some people's meditation is running, some people's painting. 
yes. reading, you know, there's singing, anything that, that shuts off that mind from, from fear and stress. Yeah. 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 Because the, uh, we're like little chemical making factories. And so Mm -hmm. if you're in that stress and fear mode constantly, then it's, uh, if people can realize that there's a real thing happening, it's not just in your thoughts, but it is in your thoughts, but those thoughts are actually creating this, this biological response. And you're making all these chemicals in your body that are now flooding your system and make, and they're going to make you sick if they haven't already. Correct. Yep. Adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, all of these things that are supposed to help the fight or flight response. But when they're being released all the time, it's just wearing down your system and putting this mm-hmm. kind of degenerative chemistry in your body. Yeah. So what do you think about, let's come back for a minute and talk about Eva. So Eva was one of the stories that you were following throughout the movie. And she had this uh, mysterious rash or these skin eruptions, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so, you know, you had, um, guided her to seeing several different practitioners. Um, and it was really interesting. I mean, first of all, you know, the seeing what these were, it looked like it was really debilitating. It was serious. It's, it wasn't just like a couple of red bumps, like a mosquito bite. Right. stuff right yeah they, i mean these were like massive boils and it goes to show that she's such a tough cookie you know she downplays even these like i mean i think about it if i get a paper cut it's like oh <laughs> so painful and she's got these massive open sores on her body when she has a breakout um when she has a really bad flare-up and i just can't imagine the pain and discomfort that she's in and it just goes to show that like she's downplaying even that is just like this little skin condition. I mean, this is like a mm-hmm. serious breakout, but she's just her whole life. And we see as we kind of get a glimpse into her childhood trauma, her yeah. whole life, it's like, she's just, she has to, she was way, you know, she was forced to grow up so fast because her dad abandoned them and her mom needed to be taken care of. So she was the mother of the mother at nine years old or something. Right. And so, you know, that developed a little girl who, neglected everything of her own desires and took care of everybody else, you know, and, and had to do some pretty tough things for a little girl to do. Um, so she developed this thick skin and I'm just going to battle through it and I'm just going to make sure it's done because if I don't, nobody else is going to do it. Mom is not capable and dad's gone and I've got little sisters and brothers and I've got to step up. So she just, she, she's taken that mentality and, and, you know, mm-hmm. still after, you know, just not taking, not putting herself first, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, it was, you know, but when, when we were doing the film, it was the first time she kept going to conventional doctors and everything and specialists and nobody could give her answers. And, um, when I started taking around to like different practitioners, you know, uh, alternative quote unquote practitioners, <laughs> yeah. um, that was her first kind of glimpse into, Oh, her emotional and childhood trauma that she had suppressed, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, you know, looking at trauma is almost as painful as experiencing it for the first time. So it was understandable that it was like three steps forward, two steps back, you know, um, on that journey because it was just her first foray into kind of looking at what's beneath the surface, you know? Right. It, 
it seems like, you know, because we were talking about stress, that as a child of nine, her, her very stressful life began at the age of nine. Mm-hmm. And so there, you know, you have all of this stress. Can you imagine trying to, trying to figure out how to take care of an adult, your mother and your, and your younger siblings at the age of nine? Um, and then it the just sadness, hurt. the sadness that you're never sadness and anger that you're never allowed to feel because you just don't have time and nobody's there to give you sympathy, you know, yeah. so you just suppress, you repress all of your feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I felt for her. I really did. And it made me, um, think of the, um, Anita Morjani story mm-hmm. and how, Oh yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Right. Another one. So her book dying to be me, um, where she literally has a near death experience and she had these, you know, boils and stuff all over her body. And she was basically, you know, dead and the experience that she has. And then she, she comes back and has this seriously miraculous healing. And I just, I thought about her story because, you know, she was saying um, that it made her realize that every choice that she had ever made in her entire life was made from fear. And, I was like, that That sounds like Eva, you know, she had to make all of these choices and step up and do all these things because of the fear of what would happen if she didn't. Things wouldn't get done, you know, right? Nothing would right. get done and they wouldn't probably in a child's mind, then you wouldn't be safe. And anyway, right. yeah. yeah, I just, I loved Anita's uh, thing saying, um, her quote toward the end of the movie saying, we say, call remission, I say it's remember my mission. I thought that was yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, when she's she the word remission as remember my mission. I think that's so empowering because it's you know a lot of the research was showing, or especially with Kelly Turner and cancer and radical remission, you know, um, finding reasons for living was one of her nine key factors to healing. And uh, yes, we all have a we all have a purpose and a passion and and you know gifts to contribute here on the earth while we're here in this lifetime and and a lot of people you know jeffrey thompson talks about it eloquently too it's like you know there comes a time in life where you come to a fork in the road and it's either you know turn left and follow your passion and follow your heart even though all signs are pointing to risk (laughs) like that's not the safe path Mm -hmm. that's not the path that your parents want um and, you know, or you turn right and you go to medical school and you become a doctor because your dad and your grandpa were a doctor. And, and that's what everybody in your society and your family say that you should, you should turn right, but your heart is telling you to turn left. And he says, you know, the minute you turn right and take the safe path, that's when disease begins, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, remember my mission that Anita says. It's, you know, if you're in remission, it's like, it's your new lease on life, you know, follow your passion, follow your heart. That, that calling in your heart is, is a, is a signpost, is a spotlight on what your gifts are that you're, you're here to contribute to the world, you know, and follow that. Yeah. I love that. Love it. She's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people get, a lot of resistance, I think, from their partners, you know, their families or the people around them. Uh, if they even maybe mention sort of going rogue and looking at uh, original um, <laughs> original healing or, you know, holistic, 
uh, paths of healing. Um, what advice would you give people that are in that kind of an environment? How important is that kind of support? Oh, it is. That's one of the biggest challenges, right? So people mean well, but they, they, out of their own fears and their own subconscious beliefs, they're projecting onto you what they think you should do because they've, they want you to live. They want you to heal. Um, they want to be helpful. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, again, it goes back to spirituality and all healing is spiritual. It's like you, your body knows best. Your body is what's, who's communicating to you, your higher self. Um, your inner guidance, your intuition, that's the highest voice, right? That, that's going to be the highest truth. So other people have all sorts of reasons um, for telling you their opinion. Uh, but I would encourage everybody, you know, and this is another one of the nine key healing factors of Kelly Turner's research with radical remission is following your intuition. And you really have to quiet out everybody else's fears. You've got to be very vigilant and guard yourself against other people's fears that they're projecting onto you um, so that you don't adopt them as your own. Um, for instance, you know, I don't tell many people this because I had already started the film. It wasn't a catalyst for me to do the film. But, um, you know, I, I went to an integrative doctor. I actually was taking my husband there to, to switch doctors because I wanted someone a little bit more holistic for him. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than just a pill prescriber. Yeah. So um, I took him to this integrative doctor who's amazing and constantly going to conferences and educating himself on the newest medicine and newest breakthroughs and alternative medicine, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I said, well, I might as well just do a full blood panel on myself just in case there's anything I can clean up or, you know, I'm lacking or deficient in. I can, I can correct it. Yeah. So the result of the blood test was that I was ridden, riddled with mold <laughs> and um, I tested positive for Lyme disease. So this was wow. maybe four years ago. And, and I'm sitting there and I go, okay, I remember for, you know, I grew up in Southern California. So it's, mold is very common if you're living by the seaside because yeah. there's a lot of moisture in the houses. Um, but we're not educated on mold, you know, but, but it's, it's like the black mold and the really damp, poorly taken care of homes that, um, are going to do the most, have the most, you know, detrimental effect on, on the human body. So some molds are, you know, you can just process out of your system, but like the black mold, it's really bad. So I was exposed to black mold in, um, an apartment that I lived in when I was going to college at UCLA because like, you know, I couldn't afford a really nice, uh, apartment at the time. And, but I remember, I remember, and it was this damp little place in Santa Monica. And I remember starting to like about two months into living there, I started like having like lung, like breathing issues. Like I felt like there was chalk in my lungs. And then lo and behold, I'm like looking up at the wall and there's like black spots coming out above my closet, you know? And I called my mom up and we looked at it and we're like, oh yeah, this doesn't look good. This is mold. Let's let's move you out of here. So I moved out about after three months of breathing in this lovely black mold and, um, you know, felt better, moved, found a different apartment, whatever. Nobody tells people, nobody educates people on mold. It doesn't leave your system, especially if it's the gnarly kind. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just kind of hides in your tissues and proliferates and and slowly, silently wears down your immune system because your immune system is always trying to find and battle these little spirit keats or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
so I was like, oh, wow, okay, that makes sense. Let's, let's treat the mold. And, and my doctor was like, well, we should treat the Lyme because that's more, you know, that's kind of a scarier diagnosis. And he says, you know, luckily you can afford to go to the best clinic in Germany and do the three-week course of antibiotics. And I said, hold on a minute. You know, even this is my doctor who I really respect and admire. Um, I'm like, I'm not experiencing crazy neurological symptoms that a lot of people are facing with Lyme. Sure. You know, I have brain fog, I've, you know, but I, I just chalked that up to like being in my late twenties, you know, yeah. and, and burning the candle at both ends. Um, I go, let's just treat the mold first. Cause you know, I want to, I'll do antibiotics as like a last resort. Um, and so I, so he said, okay, we'll just keep an eye on it and just keep making sure that your health doesn't decline. And, and, and in the meantime, we'll treat the mold with high doses of vitamin C and uh, glutathione intravenously. Okay. So I, I did that for about six months. The mold cleared out. I still had a little left, um, anything such just because I live, again, where I live. But the bad stuff was out. And, uh, and sure enough, after six months, the lime was gone too. Uh-huh. And we had done multiple Lyme tests uh, just to, you know, confirm the diagnosis because I know it does get misdiagnosed a lot, a lot of times. But I remember the period of time where, you know, getting a positive Lyme test. I mean, if I, if I wasn't so aware and informed of how the body works and, and, and everything, then I would have absolutely spiraled down the fear hole and I would have reached out to family and friends, like crying, like, oh, my God, I have Lyme, you know, mm-hmm. uh, even though my body wasn't really experiencing the acute symptoms of it yet, you know. Yeah. And so, again, it's just I like just be careful about projected fear onto you. I mean, I I was even vigilant and strong enough to tell my integrative doctor who knows way more than I do, like, hold on a minute. I'm not going to go do three weeks of antibiotics just as a precaution so it doesn't progress. Yeah. It's like let's just monitor and, and do what we can now for the mold and then see where we, we can make that decision if I get worse in any way. You know what I mean? And yeah. it, turned, it worked out for me. But yeah. you just have to really listen to your intuition and, um, and not other people's projected fear. My yeah. yeah. <laughs> my no, long-winded point. You no, know, but that's a good point, though. I, I think it's super important because you're right that – there is a voice inside of you. There is, you know, call it your gut, call it the voice, you know, call it your higher conscience or intuition, but it's there and it will talk to you. You just have to and be. It knows best. It does. It does. So I'm curious because you cleared up the mold. Was the, was the lime still, I mean, was that actually accurate or was it actually just symptoms of the mold and you really didn't have lime? I mean, I don't know, because the way they test Lyme is to, you know, there's, it was like two out of the three markers. And I think that, you know, they're testing for this certain bacteria mm. that shows up. And, and, you know, when I talked to Anthony William, the medical medium, while mm. I was interviewing him, he said, you know, when Lyme disease first was discovered in Connecticut back in the day, um, it was a viral disease. And somewhere along the line, it got connected to bacteria so he said, you know, even the experts are confused about what Lyme is these days. And, and he said, you know, you could go to a, you could have something going on in your system 
um, and have neurological symptoms that look like Lyme, but if you go to a multiple you know, sclerosis expert, uh, you're going to have, you're going to get that diagnosis. So there's a lot going on in Lyme and yeah. that, that is confusing and, and, and not very clear. And so he, he seems to think that is, it's actually a viral, viral thing. Um, but right now they're attaching it to, you know, the, the indicators that it's in your system are actually this certain bacteria that they're finding. So who knows? I'm not an expert enough on the topic, and I don't know what the truth is. I just know that it was there. We tested again at, like, the top Lyme uh-huh. uh, lab, um, just as, like, a second opinion. The same two markers showed up as positive. And then after six months of detoxing my system and flushing out um, through the IVs of, of high doses of antioxidants, you know, the mold and the Lyme were gone. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that mold is tricky stuff. I, I had a, um, an acquaintance that um, told me a couple of years ago that this a similar thing happened to her. She didn't realize it. She had been exposed to black mold in a place she was living um, for quite a few months, I think, and couldn't figure out why all of a sudden she was just exhausted and not feeling well and brain fog and, you know, the whole thing. Um, and finally, after multiple tests that's what it turned out to be and it was really debilitating for many months for her it was terrible and it was the first time I had ever heard of such a thing and that was just like I don't know two years ago maybe mm-hmm. it's yeah. crazy yeah I think I think we really need to be educated on mold mm-hmm. um, you know it's for sure it's totally debilitating yeah I, I got lucky I mean I was I was in my system for 15 years before it was found, you know, and I, yeah. I was just, luckily I'm relatively healthy in other areas. So it kept my, my immune system was strong enough to keep it at bay, but you know, I had symptoms, but they weren't acute, you know, they weren't debilitating and, uh, other mm-hmm. people that are maybe have a toxic burden or tons of stress in their life, you know, that's a triple whammy between the mold and the stress and yeah. bad food or whatever, and your system just can't process it. So luckily, I just, I got lucky. My system was keeping it at bay, you know? Right, right. So was your husband open to um, your suggestion to see some alternative healing doctors and suggestions for whatever <laughs> he was going for? What was his attitude Sur- about? Surprisingly, he was. Um, you know, he, the, the way we found this integrative doctor was through another surgeon friend of mine, um, a friend of ours. So he really respected and admired his opinion and referral. Um, so I give him credit for that, for finding us like the best and smartest integrative doctor. But, you know, the fact that he was open because I came into his life and, and I just noticed that his like concierge doctors were kind of just prescribing pills and not really you know, treating him, taking into account all the other things in his life. And I was just like, whoa, 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 <laughs> this yeah. is insane. Like you take a pill for after you eat for your stomach, like you take, you know, I'm like, this is not healthy. And it's not sustainable too, because, you know, if you're right. taking an antacid pill after every meal or after every big meal, um, you know, eventually your body adapts and you're actually becoming more acidic than you would be without the pill. And, and, and whatever system, so it's, it's helping your maybe digestive tract, but the side effects are throwing off, you know, systems 
B, C, and D that are connected to it, you know, so right. that requires another pill. So it's just being aware of like, just being aware of how the body works. So thank God it was open to it. That's cool. Did it, did it help then the, the new uh, protocols that he was introduced to? Did, did he uh, follow through and did they help? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's, people are just like, Oh my God, you're so, you look so much younger. He's got more energy. He's, you know, he takes a lot of supplements. Um, and very, you know, he, he, it's, it's like the medication is, we, we've gotten it all out of his system except for one that's like required for a genetic condition, um, a clotting disorder. But other than that, it's like, he's healthy as a bee. He runs on the treadmill, you know, as fast as any 25 year old. And he's just in great, great shape. His cholesterol has dropped. Everything, everything's amazing. Nice. Thank God. Yeah. I bet he really loves it when he hears people say you look so much younger. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Exactly. That's, That's exactly always motivating, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Kelly, do you see the connection between um, the, you know, the healing, the quantum physics, the spirituality, all of these different modalities and what people you know, know to be, or think they know to be the law of attraction? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, I've, I've heard it called the law of attraction. I've heard it called the law of vibration or resonance. Yep. Um, you know, I think for some people like the law of attraction has a bad rap because it's, you know, associated with who knows what, but I, I, I find that it is, you know, quantum physics, is just that everything is vibration and you're, you attract, you know, like yeah. vibration, like attracts like. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. I see, uh, I think people that, um, maybe, um, poo poo the law of attraction, um, perhaps, perhaps they just don't have quite all of the, mm, what do you want to call it? Understand the depth of it, how it, you know, how it really works. Sometimes wording really throws people off. But if uh, looking, you know, if you if you substitute certain words, it's kind of like all these different things. I find if I'm reading about, you know, the law of attraction and I'm I'm reading about, um, you know, one of my new thought um, spiritual books or I'm reading about quantum physics, um, it, I'm seeing all of the same things with different words. Yes, totally. Yeah. Um, but, and it's, it's exactly, I mean, there's just examples of it in, we could, we could talk about it for forever, but we talk about it in the film a little bit, um, where, you know, in quantum physics, Joe Dispenza talks about, you know, rather than the, you know, the Newtonian physics law of cause and effect, quantum physics is showing that, you know, we humans and our beliefs, expectations and thoughts and emotions um, we actually cause an effect. So by, um, you know, visualizing what it is we want and, and then, you know, bringing our hearts into the equation and feeling the feelings of, of that desired result and focusing on that and practicing that over and over, that, that feeling and thought creates, creates the desire, you know, or attracts the desired result. Or, yeah. You know, it actually... In, you know, he, they say, you know, the thought, uh, the feeling creates the healing. So when you combine that elevated emotion with that intention, um, 
that actually starts to neurologically and, and physically start to, you know, cause the end result that you're looking for. It's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think so, too. Um, and it seems like, you know, in that um, in that uh, whole same, I guess, thought process, um, people allow their bodies to actually become their minds rather than you know, it's almost like they get fooled and reverse the natural order of how the mind-body connection works. So it's like, you know, how do we help people start seeing things in reverse and understanding that, you know, your, all of these other, your beliefs and your thoughts and all of these things we've been talking about, um, you know, create the chemicals in our bodies and then our you know, we get the results. So we're, we're the cause by, by our thinking and our emotions. And then the result is, you know, is what happens with their bodies. But it seems like people start letting their bodies dictate to their minds what's going how, on. How to feel. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It comes well, again. They the self start by watching heal and then they should, you know, <laughs> right. dig deeper into the different subjects in the film um, that they resonate with. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I like that. Let's. What I'd like to do is, um, is I think one of the uh, nice ways to to round out this interview is to talk about Dr. Kelly Turner's top nine factors. That might be a really nice thing to leave people with, um, so that they can start, you know, watch the movie and then start practicing some of these things in their own life, and and hopefully, you know, prevent disease and illness from happening or start to, you know, turn it around if they are experiencing some of those things. Yes. Um, so you've mentioned her a couple times throughout our conversation, Dr. Kelly Turner, and she was really amazing too. And I think, uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about her findings from people that experienced um, radical remissions from every type of, of cancer and um, and let's leave people with some things that they can start doing right now. Yeah, I think it's a great way to uh, wrap it up because you know Kelly Turner, she's she is a researcher, and she's you know she was very careful about like you know while she ag agrees that that emotions you know are a factor, uh, she still believes that toxins and pathogens actually cause disease. But she, you know, she was doing her research um, in her in her studies, and she came across these stories of radical remissions. And she's like, "Why aren't we studying what people, these people who defied the odds, and these, you know, two percenters, and all of these different types of cancer that were stage four, late stage, end stage, and sent home to die? Why aren't we studying what they did? I mean, they turned it around. They healed. We need to be studying and." exploiting and, and, you know, selling that. So yeah, she interviewed 1500 people who experienced these radical remissions. And, you know, when their doctors told them there was nothing else that they could do. And out of 1500 people, she discovered 75 things that, um, different factors that people were implementing in their, in their, um, healing, you know, success stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, but she found that cool thing is that she found every single one of them did a version of these nine things. So she calls them the nine um, key factors that can make a real difference. Mm 
Okay. And her research is specific to cancer, but I say, <laughs> my opinion is it would apply to any chronic illness. Yeah. Um, and what I think is so fascinating is that out of the nine, only two of them are physical, which is radically changing your diet and um, using herbs and supplements. And the rest are mental, emotional, and spiritual. And I believe that is the, this indicates that when we approach our healing, only, let's call it 20% of the healing journey is physical. You know, the rest is, you need to, you need to approach your, your, your mental, emotional, and physical health as well when you're, when you're trying to heal, you know, just changing your diet or or doing something physical is, is only going to get you about 20% of the way there most of the time. Right. So, um, so I'll just name off the nine things right now. It's radically okay. changing your diet, taking control of your health. Again, not playing the victim and mm-hmm. letting someone else tell you what's possible with your life. Yes. Um, following your intuition, using herbs and supplements, releasing suppressed emotions. That's amazing. Yeah increasing positive emotions because things like love, gratitude, joy, um, again, connecting with your, your passion, uh, all of those things, while stress might release, um, you know, stress chemistry, increasing positive emotions, love and all that, and joy and gratitude, that releases healing chemistry in your body, that oxytocin, dopamine, um, all of those good things mm-hmm. uh, that help you heal. And then we finish up with embracing social support, deepening your spiritual connection, and having strong reasons for living. So those nine things are like, you know, the cornerstones of, well, there can't be nine corners, but the key yes. factors into <laughs> your, <laughs> your healing journey. So, and I think, again, while her research was just in late stage cancer, it applies to all chronic conditions. Yeah, I think so, too. Those are all things that um, I I would say for anybody suffering any kind of um, degree of unwellness, illness, disease, uh, you you have absolutely nothing to lose and everything to gain by doing these things. And really, um, most of these things don't require that you, you know, have to mortgage your house to finance. I mean, these are things that, you know, positive emotions and, you know, following your intuition and taking control of your health. And, you know, so depending on what you're doing, you, you, you may or could choose to see some practitioners that would obviously, you know, require some resources. But, you know, again, so many of these things, most of these things, and at least all of them to a certain degree, don't require that you have to be a wealthy, wealthy person in order to make this happen. Right. I can guarantee you the 1,500 people she studied, you know, the majority of them were, did not have extra resources. Yeah. You know, they went home and did simple, simple but profound shifts in those nine things. Yeah. Beautiful. I think that's a really great takeaway for, for our listeners to start thinking about and, um, and watch the movie. And I, I'm sure people are getting, you must be getting a ton of great feedback from it. I can only imagine. It's yeah. Since it's been on Netflix, it's just gone. It's like, it was, it had a great run all last year and was doing really well on iTunes and, 
and then it just hit Netflix um, a few weeks ago, and it's from all over the world, just so many messages pouring in, and it just feels so good that that people are are inspired. That's awesome. So your company, Elevative Entertainment, is focused on creating conscious media that informs and inspires and empowers, and clearly you have checked all of those boxes and then some with Heal. So my question is, is this like just the first of many documentaries or initiatives to come? Is there other, you know, are there other things that you're kind of developing or? Um, Well, we, there's still so much going on with Heal. I mean, we're in the works talking about developing it into a TV series because there's Mm -hmm. so much to cover. Um, I just finished the book, which will be out in the fall, which is the book version of the documentary. So there's a lot still to be done with heel, but um, and then also I am going to have a child uh, oh. in May. Oh, so exciting! So, congratulations. Yeah. Say that again. I said congratulations. That's so oh, exciting. Yeah, thank you so much. So that's kind of the next, you know, project I'm birthing will be a little human that I get to. <laughs> To, to, you know, so I, I think that's my next chapter and focus for, you know, at least the immediate year, but always, always open to the next kind of calling I receive. Awesome. That's so wonderful. I'm very excited for you. Um, and I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're getting anxious and excited too. May, that's going to be here in a minute. So I know, I know it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, so before I ask you my final question, would you like to share uh, where people can find out more about you, about Heal, um, and anything you know, anything that's coming down the pike for you? Where can we find you? Yeah, so we're on Facebook and Instagram as at Heal Documentary. Um, I'm personally on Instagram as at Kelly Gorris, G O R E S. And then we have our website, uh, HealDocumentary.com, and you can purchase it off the website. It can take you to Netflix, iTunes, Amazon, DVD, et cetera, and you can find out kind of there's more resources and links there uh, to the experts, et cetera. So that's where you'll find us. Beautiful, beautiful. So my last question, Kelly, is what would you tell people is the value of making a seemingly radical move in their life and going rogue? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, big risk, big reward. I think it's always good to go rogue when your heart is telling you to go rogue. I wouldn't go rogue just to go rogue because that might not end up well. <laughs> but if, you're, if your heart is um, telling you over and over and, and, or the universe is trying to gently nudge you in a, in a certain direction that may not feel safe or be the norm or be what your parents or significant other think is best for you. You know, if, if your heart keeps telling you to go in that direction and the universe is giving you signs, then, you know, that's, I would say going rogue and following your heart is always the right thing to do because there's just endless joy and happiness at the end of that path. Nice. I love it. I concur. I concur wholeheartedly. That's beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Kelly, it has seriously been such a pleasure chatting with you. And this was really hard to contain this. I still have like copious notes here that I have no check. 
because like, I, know. I know it's just there's so much we like oh we didn't even talk about dr joe dispenza or you know i some know there's so many i know but but that's okay maybe uh maybe we can you know do this again at some point down the road and talk about some things that we didn't didn't get to this time but it's uh it's awesome, and I really wish you continued success with all of your future endeavors, and I'm sure that Heal is going to keep building and building. So um, let's plan to come back around in a while and talk again, and, uh, and I hope the rest of your pregnancy goes smoothly, and, uh, and I wish you well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and yeah, we will definitely keep in touch. Thanks for Thanks for having me. Wow. How inspiring was that, my friends? I actually feel like I just ate an amazing five-course meal. Maybe we just heard from the next Oprah. Possibly. If you haven't seen Heal yet, I strongly urge you to check it out. Have something handy to take notes on with, too, because I am certain that you're going you're gonna to want to. You're going to want to make notes. And if you can... Talk the other members of your household into watching it with you. It will definitely be more impactful than you trying to explain it to them. So if you liked what you heard today, please share it and give it a killer rating, please. Um, I would love that. Be part of the movement to help others learn what's possible when it comes to radical healing and why going rogue could change their life for the better. We're talking shift.com is one place to connect with me. I would love to hear your thoughts about today's show. And if you're trying to make some shift happen in your own life and you'd like some private coaching, reach out to me there as well or at lauriebischoff.com or on Facebook. Thank you for listening, everyone. Until we talk again next week, stay feisty, my friends, and go make some shift happen. You too, Gary Vee.